May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I have a letter dated July 20th, 1918. To my own beloved wife, I do not know how to start this letter. The circumstances are different from any under which I've ever written before. I do not post it, but will leave it in my pocket. If anything happens to me, someone will perhaps post it. We are going over the top this afternoon, and only God in heaven knows who will come out of it alive. I am in his hands, and whatever happens, I will look to him in this world and in the world to come. If I am called, my regret is that I leave you in my barns. I go to him with your dear face, the last vision on earth I shall see, and your name upon my lips, you the best of women. You will look after my darling barns. For me, and tell them how their daddy died. Oh, how I love you and all as I sit here waiting. I wonder what you are doing at home. I must not do that. It is hard enough sitting waiting. We may move at any minute. When this reaches you, for me, there will be no more war. Only eternal peace and waiting for you. It is a legacy of struggle for you, but God will look after you. And we shall meet again, and there will be no more parting. I am to write no more, sweetheart. Kiss the barns for me once more. I dare not think of them, my little darlings. Goodbye, you, the best of women and best of wives, my beloved sweetheart. May God in his mercy look over you and bless you all. May he in that same mercy preserve me today. Eternal love from yours evermore, Jim. Good news. Um, Sergeant uh, Major James Mildy survived. He, in fact, made it home from the First World War to greet his lovely wife and his dear Barnes, his children, beloved ones. I had no idea what that word was when I first read it. And uh, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even spell like you might think it would. But anyway, he, he is, um, he, he's writing to tell the people that he loves his last thoughts about them. Um, Abby and I were watching the inauguration the other day. Um, I recorded it. We got home and watched it in place of the evening news. And um, I saw Ch- uh, Senator Schumer read a letter from a Civil War soldier um, that he had, the so- soldier had written to, um, to his family. And I realized how precious letters really are to us. Um, there are those letters that are just simply, you know, notes that mean nothing. And then there are others that seem to, seem to contain such weight and such gravity you can tell the difference between a dispassionate and a passionate letter. And the one that you hold, or at least the little piece that you hold in your hand today in the bulletin from St. Paul, is anything but a dispassionate letter. It is one of the most passionate letters you'd ever read. I, I said last week that it gets often uh, confused because uh, people don't understand that it's, it's really male. <laughs> this is really a letter. And it was really a letter written by a pastor to a church. I told you at the beginning, he, the very first thing he does from the outset is he reminds the Christians in the city of Corinth who they are. That they are called to be God's holy people. And that they're set apart for a special purpose. And that's their identity. And that they ought to buy into that identity. And I said, by extension, he says the same thing to us. He said it to all the other Christians living uh, who would possibly have read that letter. And so I think he means it not just for the Corinthian Christians, but for all Christians, that God calls us to be set apart, his holy people in the world. A little background just on the city of Corinth. 
um, the city of Corinth is a port city in ancient Greece. It still exists today. It's moved a little bit from its ancient location. But it was a major port city, and so there was lots of commerce coming in and out of Corinth. But it was also known as a city of great licentiousness, a great uh, a city of great sensuality. It was sort of a um, it was sort of a, a slanderous term to say that somebody lived like a Corinthian. Um, one scholar, Donald Guthrie, says this. He says the name Corinthian became a byword for profligacy, uh, reckless living, you know, extravagance. So if you were to say that, even in the ancient world where many people lived like that, to call somebody a Corinthian was really a, a slanderous word. And it was here, though, that Paul travels, preaches the gospel, and begins to set up Christian communities in the city. He stays there for some time, and then he leaves. He moves on. Paul is, after all, a missionary. He has places to go, people to see, things to do. He's got more churches to establish. And at one point, he's in the city of Ephesus, in what is today modern-day Turkey, and he gets news from Corinth. Things are not going so well. And I think he gets a letter. I think it comes in the way of a letter because Paul goes through this letter and he sort of chronicles issue after issue after issue that are happening in the Corinthian church, 11 in all. And he sort of segues from one to another by saying, okay, and now let's talk about this, and now let's talk about this, and now let's talk about this, and so on. Our section today, if you have your bulletin, would you open that with me? Our section today, verses... uh, 10 to um, to 17, is addressing the first problem. Having reminded the Corinthians who they are, we're going to get into the first problem. What's happening in the city of Corinth? What's happening in this city? Um, Verse 11, the second verse, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Uh, Chloe's house, literally. The people who are meeting in Chloe's house, probably a church that meets in Miss Chloe's house, that there is quarreling among you. Um. The word translated quarreling in Paul's ancient Greek um, means um, hostile interactions, adversarial relationships, um, contention. Uh, there's, there's some fighting going on. Things aren't all well and good. People are contentious, adversarial towards one another. Just a little reminder, in Paul's day, Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire. The only way they were able to survive, the only way the church was able to continue is, um, is Paul convinced and many of the other leaders of the church convinced people that Christianity was nothing more than what um, Jonathan Sachs, the former uh, chief rabbi for the UK, called Judaism for the masses. This is why Christianity was allowed to survive because it was, it was Judaism for the masses. We're not, we're not inventing a new religion. We're, we're just showing people what God had always intended. And, and so having fights among the church would not have been good. It would have been, it could have, it could have placed the church in, in great peril of being, um, being called illegal and, and put out of work. And, and there must be some sort of, um, you know, community that's gathering in, in all the houses in Corinth because this is the way churches met. They had no buildings. They, they weren't technically legal. If the synagogue kicked them out, they would meet in people's homes. And so a dozen people might meet in Chloe's house, and a dozen people might meet somewhere else, and, and half a dozen might meet somewhere else. And, and all over the city there are these churches that are in homes. And there must have been some sort of relationship between the people. Look, we're going to get this house and this house and this house together, and we're going to have a meal in the backyard or something like that. And this is where the fights are breaking out. And Paul has advice. Back up to the, to the very first verse, verse 10. Look at this. I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united, that you be of the same mind. 
I appeal to you. Some translations have, I urge you. I like the old King James Version. I beseech you. I thought about beseeching people around my house, you know, from time to time. I beseech you, dear son, go clean your room, you know, something like that. Uh, I beseech you, my wife, that we should have dinner soon. Um, parakaleo in Greek. Uh, Abby's like, oh, please don't. I, I, parakaleo in Greek, it, 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 means, um, it means a strong admonition. I, not, just a, not just I urge you. Um, you remember the story of Jesus in Transfiguration? He comes down, and, and in all three Gospels, there's a story of this, um, this man who has this boy who is uh, possessed by evil spirits, and, and the boy is convulsing and, and falling on the ground. And, and, and when Jesus comes down, this boy's father from the crowd calls out, Teacher, I beg you, help my son. He has a spirit, and he convulses and foams at the mouth and falls to the ground. Same word, I beg you, parakaleo. Paul is not saying, you know, come on. You guys, listen. Uh, listen to what I'm saying. I, I really urgently uh, want you to know this. He's saying, I'm begging you. I am begging you. Agree with one another. Have no divisions among you. Say, literally, say the same thing. Say the same thing. Now, he obviously doesn't mean that everybody should agree about everything, about what foods are good and what foods are not. You know, um, he's not saying that everybody should like the same sort of entertainments. What play do you like to go to versus which ones do I like to go to? He's not saying that they should all like the same sports teams because undoubtedly they were Pittsburgh Steelers fans way back then, right? No, there weren't. Uh, he's saying you shouldn't agree about everything, but you should agree about the important things. That there should be a major agreement. And look at it. Go back to that verse 10. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united. Oh, this is some, there's some great words going on here. That there should be no, um, schismata. You've heard this word schism before. This is what he's saying. That there should be no schismata, but that you should rather be, and here he uses another word, knit together. It's a, it's a metaphor from, from sewing, from fabric, from, um, from tailoring clothes, that you should be like a unified piece. If you were wearing a, um, a suit jacket and I came out and I ripped off the shoulder, you know, and it, it just kind of fell to the ground. First of all, you'd probably hit me. Uh, but if I did that, you would look really silly, wouldn't you? Walking around with a suit jacket and one arm missing off of it. This is the metaphor. Don't be ripped apart. Be sewn together. Be tightly knitted together. Keep the fabric of the church whole. But here's the thing. Why are they, why are they schismata? Why are they torn apart? What is, what's at the heart of their, their issue? And, um, and if I can see again, we'll get there. Uh, verse, um, verse 11, pick up back there. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is St. Peter, or I follow Christ. Oh, there are these parties. I follow Paul. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really care what you all do over there at Chloe's house. You know, I know that you're a bunch of whatever people. I don't care what you all do over there at Stephanus's house. You know, we're St. Peter's group over here. And 
There's not, a, there's not an inch of daylight between Peter and Apollos and Paul in terms of doctrine. It's all about personality. And Paul is saying there is no place for personality conflict. There's no place for saying that I don't belong to you. You're not part of me. We're not one because we have different personalities in teachers. That, that, is, that is an anathema to the Christian faith. You are Christians, Paul says. Look how he goes on. Is Christ divided? Verse 13. Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized into the name of Paul? The answers, of course, are no, right? No, no, no. Christ is not divided. Paul was not crucified for you. You were not baptized into the name of Paul, nor are you baptized in the name of Peter, nor are you baptized into the name of Apollos, nor are you any other name. You are baptized into the name of Jesus so that all Christians are one, that they hold together in unity. It is our baptism that makes us together. I, this is hard for us to think because we live in such a heavily um, uh, denominationalized, I think it's a word, world. We have been so divided in the church. But I want you to think about it like this. Imagine you knew a family, husband and wife. They had four grown children, two boys, two girls. Each one of them is married. So they have four in-law children. And then they each have children of their own. So there are grandchildren. Let's think of a family of 17 or 18 people. Okay? Imagine this. They're all Anglicans. And they live in a city that has lots of Anglican churches. And so they each go to a different Anglican church. And they can't get along because each one likes their priest better than the other. So they won't have anything to do with it. They won't go over for Sunday dinner. They could get there. Time is fine. Everything. But they won't because they can't get along. And you would say... Come on, get over yourselves already. What is the, what's the issue? Okay, you like the other place? Go to the other place. But you can be together. You can be a family. This is the problem. And Paul is saying unity is not something worth working for. It's something worth fighting for, to hold on to this unity in the church. Because our own spirituality depends on it. Because the wellness of the church depends on it. And listen, our witness in the world depends upon it. That unity is just that important. Well, if you read through this letter, you might say to me, hey, Joe, that sounds all good and well, but there's a little bit of dividing going on out of here that Paul's not altogether problematic with. Okay, you're right. But here is how it goes. I think that we ought to think of, of these in terms, divisions in terms of orders. What's a first order issue of unity? What's a secondary? What's a tertiary order? And I think the first order is this. If someone denies the resurrection, if they say there is no resurrection of Jesus, well, they're outside of the Christian faith. You can still love them as a human being. You can still value them, and you ought to still value them as a human being, but they're outside of the Christian faith. If they deny that the Bible is authoritative, it is the Word of God, they're outside of the Christian faith. If they deny the Trinity... They're outside of the Christian faith. It's okay to love them, to be friends with them, to, to enjoy their company. But that's not, you cannot have unity in terms of Christian unity with people like that. It, it, they're outside of the Christian faith. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, that these, there are some issues that are non-negotiable. They're in the creed that we'll say in just a minute. These issues are non-negotiable. 
But there are secondary issues. Some churches practice speaking in tongues right in the service. Some of them dance and have flags. Um, Others of them, you know, swing incense around a lot. Um, uh, Some baptize by full immersion. And they demand everybody be baptized by full immersion. Others, you know, a little bit of water will do. Some baptize only adults by confession of faith. Some baptize children. These are secondary issues. They should not cause division among us. If people want to do that, we should, you know, applaud them, embrace it. And then there are tertiary issues, the third level, okay? What kind of music people listen to and what they like to have in their church service. Whether or not they wear a suit and tie to church or or jeans and T-shirts. Whether they like to uh, drink alcohol or abstain from it. What kind of entertainments they like, whether they like to go to movies or plays. I know people who will not play cards. They will not use playing cards because they've got to be of the devil somehow. Um, I know people who will not drive a car unless it's black. They can have one color of car and it's black. Anything else is ostentatious, no red cars. I wonder what they would think of about a green one. You know, none of this stuff. You can't have any of these things. You know, this. Listen, these are not issues to be divided over. We can allow to think and let think. St. Augustine said this, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity, love. That's a good axiom to live by. There is a last thing. I think this is the fourth and really way down the list. Political parties. (laughs) You know what? Some of you are Republicans, some of you are Democrats, and some of you are smart. You're not either one. And you know that there is there is no reason why we need to divide ourselves over these parties. It was a joke. I think you guys liked that. You know, that we are not to be divided over political ideologies. Unity is essential to the life of the church. It's essential to our own spirituality. It's essential to the well-being of our witness in the world. I don't know about you, but when I read old letters like the one I read to you at the beginning today, um, I sort of think how similar people really are. How I just read to you a letter from 1918, and that most of you could be right there. You felt the sense of the reality of that letter. Because men in foxholes in World War I really weren't any different than men in foxholes in World War II, or the men in foxholes in the Civil War, or the ones in the Hundred Years' War, or however far back you go. There's a sense in which um, when your life is in peril, that perhaps you take a moment to think about what's really important and the people who are important in your lives. Um, when, when Chuck Schumer read the letter from uh, Sullivan Ballou, love for country is the only thing that will hold the country together, to preserve the union. And as I read St. Paul's letter, this letter to the Corinthians, which is a letter to us, how important it is that we maintain and preserve the unity of the church. That if we love the Lord, that we will love the church and we will fight for its unity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.